I want to pray right now before we open the word, and then we'll get started in our sermon in Joshua today. Father, we come to you, and, and we do thank you for the opportunity to uh, take your gospel to um, those who need it and to uh, serve and express love, and, and we thank you especially for this ministry at the Sable Center. And Father, we pray that you would continue to give us favor and, and bring blessing and grace uh, into that context, Father. Lord, as we uh, turn to your word now, Father, this room uh, is full of people that have uh, so many different situations going on in our lives. We have so many different situations going, so many different needs, so many different struggles, uh, griefs, um, joys, the need, the need of wisdom, the need of provision, the need of comfort. Lord, there's, there's so many ways that we need you this morning. And at the same time, Lord, we, we know that ultimately you are not here for us, but we exist for you and for your glory. And so, Lord, we want to come to you uh, right now. We want to cast our cares on you. Church, just take a moment this morning and cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. Father, thank you for being a God who loves us, who comforts us, who provides for us, who we can trust. Lord, as we open your word, we pray that you would speak your will to us. We pray that you would minister your grace to us. We pray that you would save the lost and sanctify your people. Lord, we pray that you would do the things that we cannot do during this time. We pray that we would uh, come face to face right now with your glory and, and that we would become more like Christ. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, being one of our four Mission Sundays of the year, uh, of the text we're in in Joshua, you can open your Bible to the book of Joshua. It's uh, very fitting for this Sunday as it shows the people of God, the people of Israel on the mission of God. And it reminds us as we today are the people of God on the mission of God that we are in a war. We are in a war, church. We are in a war against the sinful temptations of our flesh. We are in a war against the resistance to the gospel that we face in the world. We are in a war against the schemes of Satan that he brings against the church. Whenever we think of the mission of the church, we need to understand that we are talking about an ongoing war that is going on. Not against flesh and blood, but a spiritual battle. And as we think about these enemies in our warfare, what, what, what I just said, the, the, the sinful temptations that we face, the, the resistance to the gospel in the world, the schemes of Satan against the people of God, we need to realize quickly and acknowledge that we are in way over our heads. We are in way over our heads. We have no shot at this. If it's left to ourselves, we will succumb to sin. We have no power to transform our culture or to see any individual saved. We, we, we are not stronger than Satan. We have no chance to stand up against his schemes to devour God's people. We have no shot. 
In Joshua 6, the people of Israel faced similar odds. They faced this fortified city of Jericho. And, and, and they had this similar feeling of, of we have no shot at this. We, we, we have no recourse of action right now. And this morning we're going to see how the Lord brought them an impossible victory and that he still does this for his people today. So we're going to look at Joshua chapter 6, and, and there's really four parts to this story. First, the obstacle to victory. Second, the guarantee of victory. Third, the instructions for victory. And fourth, the experience of victory. We're just going to walk through this passage and see those four things. The obstacle to victory, the guarantee of victory, the instructions for victory, and the experience of victory. You know, church, this is one of those passages that is familiar to us. There, there are children's songs about it. We grew up knowing about this story. And my prayer this morning is not that you would hear something novel, not that you would hear something new, but that you would hear God speak in a new way to you today. That, that, that we, would, we would freshly hear the message of Joshua chapter 6 so we can apply it to our lives. And so as we look to the text, let's just continue to pray that God would speak to us, that he would uh, open our hearts so that we are not just uh, deadened by the familiarity of this passage, but that he speaks in a powerful way into our lives this morning. First, we see the obstacle to victory in chapter 6, verse 1. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. So we are looking at the book of Joshua. And this book is about the people of God receiving the promise of God, which is the land. And, and at this point, we have been in this book for, for several months now. We're five chapters in, and we have yet to see Israel actually take any land. We, we have seen many things happen, but as of yet, there is no land that they can say is theirs. And, and God has been preparing them, and they are finally here on the other side of the Jordan, in the land, before the city of Jericho. And they know that God's call is for them to take this city, and that, this, that God is saying, I'm giving you this city, but, but they stand before it, and all of their necks are cranked up because this city is surrounded by fortified walls. It is a completely fortified city. They can shut the gate, and they can stay inside, and, and Israel has no way in. Israel has no way through this. This is their obstacle that they are facing. Jericho presents a problem. It's the first city in the land that they need to take, but they have no way forward. And so Joshua, in this moment, you guys see a chapter division here in chapter 6, but that should not um, be too strong in our minds because a few weeks ago, Joey Boyd preached from chapter 5, 13 through 15. And the scene we're in now is just a continuation of that scene. Joshua is before the commander of the army of the Lord. He is still in his presence. We, we, we learned that this commander is not just a man, but this is the Lord appearing to Joshua himself. Joshua is still there, and, and in verse 2, we read the Lord uh, saying this to Joshua. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. The Lord guarantees victory to Joshua. The, the Lord speaks to him before the battle even commences, before any swords have been drawn, while they are still outside of the city. And he says, See, as in look, Pay attention to this. Hear what, hear what I'm about to say. Look at this, Joshua. I have given Jericho into your hand. I am declaring the outcome right now. The city is yours. 
This is what the Lord speaks to Joshua in this moment. This is what Joshua hears from the commander of the army of the Lord. As he stands on holy ground with his sandals removed, he hears the Lord guarantee victory to him before the battle even commences. But then in verses 3 through 5, after guaranteeing the victory to Joshua, here's what the Lord says. He gives instructions for victory. He says, You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight for him. So only after the Lord makes this guarantee of victory does he then give these instructions. He says, I've given you the victory, now here is how it will happen. And, and what is the Lord's plan? Notice, church, this, is, this plan is not in any way militaristic, is it? This, this plan has nothing to do with what they would think they need to get into this city. He, does, he doesn't draw up a battle plan for them. He doesn't give them a blueprint for how to make a battering ram. He doesn't tell them how to make throwing torches over the wall, contraptions. He doesn't tell them what to do, the things that you would think maybe this would work. Not, nothing like that. What are the instructions? He tells them, walk around the city once a day for six days in a row. And then on the seventh day, walk around the city seven times. So every day the priests should lead the way, and they should get ram's horns for trumpets, and they should just blow those trumpets continually as you walk around the city. Behind them should be the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence with his people. And behind the Ark, all the men should follow. No one saying a word the entire time, just walking around once a day in that procession, six days in a row. And then on that seventh day, you walk around seven times, and once that happens, the priest should give a long trumpet blast. When you hear that long trumpet blast, all the people should shout their loudest shout, and God promises in that moment that the walls of Jericho will fall down before them, and they will be able to enter into the city. Militarily speaking, this plan seems like nonsense. And it was nonsense, militarily speaking. You know, I think of VeggieTales and the little Jericho peas on the wall saying, keep walking, keep walking, but you won't knock down our wall. Keep walking, but she isn't going to fall. It's plain to see your brains are very small to think walking would be knocking down our wall. I will never forget that song. They're talking to the little vegetable Israelites below. It's nonsense, isn't it? But spiritually speaking, it wasn't nonsense. Spiritually speaking, I want you to understand that God's not just giving them a nonsense plan as if he could have said, walk around the city and bark like dogs for a week. No, that's not what he's saying. He, spiritually speaking, he has given them a plan saying, saying worship. Worship. You, know, you notice that the priests are leading the way. The ark is central. The people are following after the ark. This is a, a plan to say for seven days, hold a ceremony of worship outside of the city, before the people of Jericho. That's the plan. That's what he calls them to do. The, the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of the presence of God at the center of it all. This is God's instruction to Israel. He says, this is how you will receive the victory. Well, the rest of the chapter, starting in verse 6, all the way through verse 27, gives us the experience of victory. The rest of the chapter records Israel's response 
to these instructions. And, and you know, we, we would potentially think with instructions like these that there would be some hesitation on Israel's part. There, there would be, are you sure? Are you sure that's the best idea? But, you know, we don't see any of that. We don't see a hint of that in the chapter. We see Joshua immediately relay these instructions to Israel. In verses 6 and 7, Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. So Joshua has no hesitation. He turns right around and says, here's what we're supposed to do. And the people, again, no hesitation. Verse 8, just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests were blowing the trumpets. The rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. So on this first day, we see just this straightforward obedience to the Lord's instructions. Day two comes, verse 12. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, walked on. They blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them. The rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned in the camp. And so they did for six days. Day three, day four, day five, day six. They get up, they get in their line, they get the ark, they get the trumpets, the people follow after, and they walk around the city six days in a row. No hesitation. They, they obey the Lord's instructions. And then the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day. They've got a bigger job this time. They have to march around seven times. They march around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that's within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So again, we're seeing Joshua and the people of Israel following the Lord's instructions. He, he, they, they've walked around seven times. It's time to shout. And, and before they do, Joshua reminds them what's about to happen. The walls are going to fall, and here is what you need to do. You need to devote the city to destruction. You need to not take anything for yourself. It's all for the Lord, and you need to save Rahab, who saved our spies and made an oath with us. You need to save her family. Again, the emphasis on Israel is just complete obedience. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. But the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her as he swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it. 
only the silver and gold, the vessels of bronze and iron, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and all her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive, and she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at the time, saying, Curse before the Lord, be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son shall he lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. Again, church, the emphasis here is just detailed remembering of all the ways that Israel obeyed the Lord. It's just a very detailed text showing they did everything that God commanded them to do. They devoted the city to destruction. They saved Rahab and her family. Joshua, even in pronouncing this curse at the end, is obeying the instructions of Deuteronomy that that once these cities are destroyed, they are not to be rebuilt. And and all of this is to show us that Israel, in this experience of victory, and God God being faithful to his promise to knock down the walls, that they obeyed his instructions. You know, the, the old song goes, who won the battle, or Joshua won the battle of Jericho. Joshua won the battle of Jericho, but the title of the sermon is, who won the battle of Jericho? I want to edit that song a little bit. Who won the battle of Jericho, really? The children's song tells us Joshua did, but look at verse 27. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. So who won the battle of Jericho? Well, Yes, it was Joshua, but it was the Lord, right? It's kind of a trick question because, because yes, Joshua's fame was in all the land. Joshua led Israel in this, in this victory over Jericho, but it was only because the Lord was with him. And the, and the victory truly belonged to God. It's a familiar story to us. It's a wonderful story that shows the power of God working for his people as they receive his promises. Now I want to ask, what does this speak to us today? I think the main idea of this chapter is this. We will experience the victory that God has guaranteed as we walk by faith in the instructions God has given. We will experience the victory that God has guaranteed as we walk by faith in the instructions God has given. I believe that's what Joshua 6 is teaching us. It's showing us at the beginning that the Lord guarantees this victory and what Israel could never have done themselves. He comes and he guarantees it, but then he gives these instructions for them to follow, for that victory to come about. And the, and the whole chapter just emphasizes that Israel trusted the promise and obeyed the instructions, and the victory happened because of that. And that teaches us that we too will experience the victories that God has guaranteed as we walk by faith in the instructions that he has given. Let's think about this today. What victories does God guarantee to us today? If you look at the New Testament, what has God guaranteed for his people today? Think about those enemies we talked about, the power of sin, resistance to the gospel, the schemes of Satan in our lives. In Jesus Christ, God has guaranteed these victories to us. He has guaranteed, church, victory over the power of sin in your hearts. Romans 6.14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. God comes to you in your struggle against sin, and he guarantees this. Sin will have no dominion over you. You will have victory over sin. It will not have dominion over you. 
God guarantees that to his people. You think about the resistance that we face uh, as we seek to spread the gospel in the world. Listen to the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9. He's, he's speaking to Timothy. He's in prison. He says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. That doesn't look like victory. He's in jail, bound with chains as a criminal, about to be executed. But he says the word of God is not bound. The word of God is not bound. He's he's declaring the victory of the gospel, even in the moment when when it does not seem victorious. He's declaring what God has said, that the gospel will be victorious in the world. Whether it comes to the temptations we face in our sin, or whether it's advancing the gospel in the world, behind both of those, we have an enemy, don't we? We have have the devil prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We have Satan and his schemes blinding the minds of unbelievers. But God declares we will have victory over the schemes of Satan. In 1 John 4.4, John says this, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He's talking about these these teachers who, who are the spirit of the Antichrist. He says, you have overcome them. You have overcome them. Past tense. Because he who is in you, the Spirit of God, is greater than he who is in the world, Satan. You have victory there. God's declaring these victories to us, church. He's saying on the front end, before anything happens, he's saying you you will have victory over sin. You will have victory as you spread the gospel. You will have victory over the schemes of Satan in this world. God declares impossible victories for us today. Now the question that I want to ask at this point in application is, is are you fighting the battles that God has commanded you to fight? You know, this, th- these truths are precious to us if we are actually fighting sin. These truths are precious to us if we are actually seeking to advance the gospel. These truths are precious to us if we are actually engaged in the spiritual warfare that is going on in the world between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. But are you fighting those battles with your life? You know, I, I believe it was a great theologian named Wesley Boyd who said life is a struggle. Is that true, Wes? Life is a struggle, right? Life is, life is a struggle. Life is a fight. Our lives, no matter what we're living for, we are fighting for it. Like, we really are. No matter what you're living for this morning, you are fighting for that thing. Nothing comes easy in this life. And I want to ask, what are you fighting for with your life? What are your goals? What are your ambitions? What are your family's goals? What's your purpose? What are you aiming for? What are you reaching for? I want to ask, are you fighting the battles that God has called us to fight as his people? You know, God does not guarantee victory if we are fighting for material comforts. If we are fighting for a better salary and a better job and a nicer house and a good retirement, God does not guarantee victory to us in that. God does not promise victory if we are fighting for promotion at work. God does not guarantee victory if we are fighting for our children to be successful and to get a scholarship. God does not promise victory if if we as the people of God are just fighting for church growth and fighting to make Redeemer Church something. God doesn't guarantee victory in these things. These are not the Lord's battles. And so we shouldn't hear this and say, God's going to do whatever I want to do with my life because God is there to serve me. No, God, when Joshua came to him and said, are you for us or against us? He said, no. No, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord and you need to bow down and submit to me and align your life with my will. 
And we need to align our lives with the will of God and with the victories and the battles that He has caused us to fight. God has promised victory over the power of sin, so we should engage in the fight against sin. Let me ask you, church, are, are you engaging in your fight against sin? Are you active in that battle right now? Are you seeking to put your sin to death? God has promised victory as we advance the gospel in the world. So let me ask you, are you seeking to advance the gospel in the world? Are you fighting that battle? Are you part of that war? God has promised victory over the schemes of Satan against the church, but, but, but are, are you giving your life into that spiritual battle that is ongoing? Are you, are you looking to the things that are not seen, but the things that are unseen? This, this text won't speak to us in any meaningful way if we don't first come to the Lord and say, we want to engage in the battles that you are calling us to engage in. We want to fight our enemies of sin in our hearts and the gospel advancing in the world and Satan's schemes against us. This, this is where we want to give our lives. This is where we want to focus. This is our ambition. And God, you promise victory in these things. And so this morning, church, I want to call you to to turn from any battles that you're fighting in your life, anything that you are, you are clawing your way to get in your life that is not part of God's will for your life. Engage in the fight against sin. Engage in spiritual warfare. Engage in advancing the gospel because God has promised us victory in these things. Well, God has not only guaranteed these victories to us today, but he has also given us instructions for victory. Just like he did to the people of Israel, God gives us instructions now think about the instructions, again, that God gave to Israel. They seemed nonsensical, but they weren't nonsensical. What? They were centered on the worship of God. And they were centered on the presence of God. And this is true for our warfare today as well. God's instructions to us center on worshiping Him and on centering our lives on His presence. God instructs us to devote ourselves to His Word. He calls the Word the sword of the Spirit. This is where we hear him speak to us. God instructs us to give ourselves to prayer. We have the word of God. We also have the ear of God, church. We don't just hear God speak to us, but we get to speak to him. John Piper calls prayer a a battle time walkie-talkie to heaven. I don't know if we actually have walkie-talkies anymore, but point being that we have the ear of the sovereign God, and he invites us to pray to him as we engage in this warfare. He commands us to do so. God instructs us also to gather with his people. Where is the presence of God most fully manifest in the world today? It's with the people of God. It's with the church. It's not, it's not as we each go fight our own Lone Ranger battles in this world, but it's, it's God's people together. When we come together, when we gather together, God's presence fills us like a, like a temple, church. This, this is where we center ourselves on the presence of God and the worship of God, hearing His Word, praying to Him, gathering with His people. These are the instructions God gives us for the warfare. He says, he says I will give you victory over sin, and so center yourself on my Word and on prayer and on my people. I will give you victory as you advance the gospel, so devote yourself to the Word and to prayer and to my people. I will give you victory in the spiritual battles, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You don't need to fear failing to him if you center yourself on my word and on prayer and my people. This is my instructions to you. It seems nonsensical to the world, but this, this is worship. This is center ourselves on the presence of God. And that, you know, in the story of Joshua, they obeyed in that, but that's not where their obedience ended, is it? 
Can you imagine walking around the city seven times that last day? The trumpet blows. They finally give a shout. The walls fall down. And then they just say, well, let's just, let's just go back. No, they need to go into the city, right? They need to go into the city. And they need to do what God has called them to do. And likewise, we don't just obey the instructions to, to hear the word and to pray and to gather, but then we need to obey the instructions to go and do what God has called us to do, to actually do the mission. And Israel obeyed in both. They obeyed in centering themselves in the presence of God before the walls fell down, and then once the walls fell down, they obeyed in carrying out exactly what he commanded them to do. And so church, what has God commanded us to do once the walls fall down, so to speak? He's called us to put our sin to death. He's called us to speak the gospel to the world. He's called us to resist the devil firm in our faith and to draw near to God. God has called us to do these things. This is our mission. And so in application, I want to ask this. Are we following the instructions of our commander? Are we following the instructions of our commander? Are we devoting ourselves to his word? Church, I know we are busy people, and, and many of us have children, and so we're, we're really busy people, and it is hard to find time in the Word, but there's just no way that someone would ever go into battle without their sword, right? I mean, why would you ever do that? Why would we ever do that? No matter how busy we are, this is essential. It's absolutely essential if we're going to engage in the battles that God has called us to fight, we need to devote ourselves to the Word of God. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who delights himself in the law of God and meditates on it day and night. And so I want to ask, are you a day and night kind of Christian? Like, are you meditating on the Word of God day and night? Are you just immersing yourself in it? Whatever it takes, listening to audiobooks or, or reading early in the morning or reading late at night, whatever it takes, are you immersing yourself in the Word of God so that it is your constant meditation? This is what it takes. Are you following the orders of God in this, of our commander? Are you giving yourself to prayer? Are you taking time every day? Pray, God, sanctify me. Deliver me from sin. Deliver me from evil. Help me to follow you. Are you praying, God, advance the gospel through our church, through our world, in our lives? Are you, are you praying that God would protect us from Satan's schemes and turn those schemes upside down? Are you giving yourself to prayer? Are you committing yourselves to God's people? This is where his presence is made known. Are, are, are you rowing in tow with God's people? Are you coming and, and engaging in the people of God? Are, are you gathering? I mean, even just at the point of gathering on a Sunday morning shows how essential this is because this is where God speaks to us and makes his presence known among us. That simple act of coming Sunday after Sunday is where we say we are committed to the orders of God in our lives, to the means that he has provided. And then are we following through? Are we going? Are we, are we going to the lost? Are we fighting our sin? Are we putting these things to death? He's, he's, he has given us the guarantee of victory. God has said, you will have victory in these things. And then he has also said, here's my instructions to you. And if we're not obeying those instructions, then that reveals something deeper about our hearts. So, so here's what I want to say. If, if you say, answer those questions, I'm, I'm not really immersed in the word. I'm not really giving myself to prayer the way I know I should. I'm not really communing with God's people the way I should. I'm not going with the gospel. I'm not putting my sin to death. If you're not obeying those instructions, it reveals a deeper issue in your heart. 
Because we will experience the victories God has guaranteed when what? When we walk by faith in the instructions God has given. When we walk by faith in the instructions God has given. This is so crucial to understanding Joshua 6. See, this chapter is such an emphasis on obedience and on how Israel obeyed the Lord. It's easy to think that the message is this. Obey God and he will bring you victory. That's not the message of the chapter, church. It's not obey God and he will bring you victory. The message of the chapter is God has guaranteed the victory. So obey him. Do you see the difference there? God has already said you will be victorious, so obey him. Now the author of Hebrews, as, as the author of Hebrews reads this story, he understood this. Here's what he wrote about this story. He says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. You know, you look at Joshua 6, and you don't see the word faith one time, do you? Never did it say in Joshua 6, Israel believed and the walls fell down. It says Israel obeyed. Israel did what God had said. Israel did just as they were commanded. But the author of Hebrews looks at that and says, by faith, the walls of Jericho came down. By faith. It's because they believed the promise of God. They believed the guarantee of victory, and therefore they obeyed. They heard the commander of the army of the Lord say, See, I have given you the victory. Therefore, do this. And because they believed that promise, they followed those instructions. And so the message for us today is not obey God and he'll bring you victory. It's believe the promise and follow his instructions. And then you will experience these victories. Believe the promise and follow these instructions. You guys are probably familiar with the song, Trust and Obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You know, this song is not giving us two things to do to be happy in Jesus. It's not like first trust and then obey and then you'll be happy. It's not an equation. It understands what Joshua 6 is teaching us, that true trust, if you're really trusting in the Lord, really trusting in God, then you will happily obey, and you will be happy in Jesus. If we trust the promise, we will obey the instructions. If we trust the commander, we will obey his orders. If we trust our God, we will follow him. So if you look at your life and you, and you ask, am I following the commands of God? And, and whenever you say no on that, you need to understand, I'm not trusting him then. I'm not actually believing his promise. You need to go, to go to the Lord and say, God, give me faith. Strengthen my faith. You know, when you think about Israel, again, in this chapter, did you see a hesitation on their part? Did Joshua say, well, wait a second, Lord. Did Israel say, no, Joshua, that sounds a little iffy. No, Israel immediately, fully obeyed. It's a wonderful example of faith for us, isn't it? But I want to ask, how did that happen? I mean, Israel is known for, for not believing the Lord and not obeying his promises. It's just very uncharacteristic of the Israel of the Old Testament. But in this moment, they obey the Lord. Well, I think it's at this point that we begin to see why we've been waiting so long to get to chapter 6. Because in chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5, God has been building Israel's faith for this moment. 
God has been preparing them all along so when this instruction came, they would trust the promise and obey him and have victory. Think about it. In chapter 1, God spoke words of his promises and his presence and his provision to the people of Israel. In chapter 2, God built up their faith by their encounter with Rahab, who said, surely God has given you the land. Please be merciful to me. In chapters 3 and 4, God built up their faith by this miraculous crossing of the Jordan and all that it meant. God even said, I'm doing this, so when you're in the land, you can know that I will do that. And in chapter 5, God built up their faith by reminding them of his covenant and circumcision, reminding them of his deliverance in the Passover. God has just been building up Israel's faith so that when chapter 6 comes and God gives them this, this crazy plan, they say, yes, yes, we will obey you, we trust you, we believe in you, Lord. And they obey him. And this shows, church, the importance of spiritual preparation. Where is the battle won in our lives? It's not once we're in the fray. It's in the preparation. It's in the preparation of our hearts for these moments. And just as Israel could look back, look back at what God had been teaching them, look back at what God had done, look back at the Jordan River and how God brought them through, we can look back at a more decisive victory. The way we prepare our hearts day in and day out is by looking at the decisive victory that Christ has already won through his death and resurrection. So so again, think, think about this. God has guaranteed us victory over our sin. But God, how can I know that you will do it? How can I trust that promise? Because Christ has already paid the penalty for my sin and set me free from sin. I look to his death and resurrection. I see the decisive victory he won, and I hear God say, sin will have no dominion over you, and I trust him, and I obey him, and I follow him. As we advance the gospel in the world, and God says, you will have victory in this, we wonder, God, God, will we? Will you come through? And we understand that Jesus died and rose again, and that in our own lives, his his spirit has come and changed our hearts. And so we say, God, I know you can because you've done it. And I look back to Christ in the gospel, and and that gives me the confidence to obey you today. In spiritual warfare, we say, say, God, how will I know that Satan, as he he prowls around to devour someone, how will I know he's not going to devour me? Because you look to the gospel and you see that Jesus has defeated Satan. He has defeated the spiritual powers of darkness through his resurrection from the dead. And so it's by looking to Jesus, our commander, and looking at his death and resurrection, the decisive victory of the cross, that we are prepared to trust in God when the battles come our way. So this morning, church, I want to call you to look to Christ. I want to call you to look to Jesus who gives the victory. I want to call you to trust him and obey. Let's pray. Father, we, we ask right now that you would, even in this next few moments of, of responding to you in song, that you would confirm the truths of Joshua 6 in our hearts. God, we pray, first and foremost, that you would draw our eyes to Christ, that you would help us to put our trust in him, who has won the victory for us. And then, Lord, we pray that you would help us to trust that you will bring victory into our lives day in and day out, that you will bring victory over the sin that ensnares us, that you will bring victory as we face resistance to the gospel, that you will bring victory as we face spiritual warfare. And, God, we want to commit ourselves to obeying your commands in these things, to to opening your word day in and day out, to praying to you and, and seeking your power through prayer 
to gathering with your people and, and, and standing side by side in the fight of the gospel, Lord, and then obeying you in all the ways that you call us to go and love and serve and speak your truth. Lord, do these things in our hearts for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.